Okay, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. So, I'm pretty excited about Misty Jandro. Are you here? <laughs> Misty became a Christian this last weekend. She wasn't here with us because she was at a Jumpstart Youth Rally down in Neosho, Missouri, and she placed her faith in Jesus, and so now she's a part of the team. She's a part of the family of God, which is awesome to have you here, Misty. Also, Shelly Newby, are you here? Can you stand up and wave? Okay, Shelly. Shelly was a Christian before she came here, but Shelly has been worshiping with us for a while, and she wanted everybody to know she really wants to be a part of this church and to work with us and partner with us as we try to serve the world around us. So, Misty, again, welcome. Glad you guys are both here. So, last week, we talked about what to do with words. Uh, I, I told you it was a part one and a part two. Think about it. Uh, talking about words, that's a big topic and a little tough to narrow down. Tough to get it in one bite. So last week, we started off by talking about words I should hear. And this is all part of a series of lessons that we've been in for a while called Foolproof. We're looking at the, the book of Proverbs and we're trying to learn how to not be a fool. <laughs> How to not be played for a fool. And Solomon, the wisest person that's ever lived, wrote down these different Proverbs, very practical instruction on how to avoid being a fool or being played for a fool. And so we've been trying to look at different topics that, that Solomon covers and see what we can use from it. Last week we started off looking at what to do with words from the standpoint of words I should hear. This week what we're going to talk about is words that I should speak. Would it surprise you to know that the Bible has a ton to say about the words that I use? No, you wouldn't be surprised. It's all over. It has much to say about how I should talk, what kind of words I should use. And in Proverbs, Solomon affirms at least three truths about the kind of words that I ought to use and about words and usage in, in general. The first truth that I found as I studied it out was, my words matter. My words matter. Anybody here ever think it doesn't matter what I say, nobody's listening? If you've ever preached, man, you'll have that feeling. If you've ever parented, you'll have that feeling. I think we all get there, don't we? We think that maybe my words don't matter. Has anybody else, anybody else besides me, because they don't think what they say matters, ever said things that they shouldn't have said? Yeah, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? Check out what, what Solomon has to say about why our words matter. In uh, Proverbs 12:18, he says, Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. My words matter because I can hurt somebody or I can heal somebody. Proverbs 18.21 says, What you say can preserve life or destroy it. So you must accept the consequences of your words. See, this is the, the, one of the things that I caught as I was studying this out. If Solomon lays into this idea, and so does the rest of the Bible, about my words having consequences. My words matter. They can do good, they can do bad, and I have to accept that and accept the consequences of my words. Jesus addressed this once. In Matthew 12, 36-37, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, 
you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. Wow. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Those are pretty straight words, aren't they? There's some weight to those. Every careless word. Now, in context, remember Jesus said this. He said this to a specific group of people that were saying evil and false things about him. They were the Pharisees. You can go back and read it in context. Any verse I show you today, I hope you will go back and and look at those verses, read them in context, make sure that I'm not spinning it this way or that way, but that I'm actually accurately reflecting what the original authors intended to be said. But even though this, these words of Jesus were said to a particular group of people, I think it's true for all of us, that it's a warning for all of us. Do you guys get that? Kind of feel that too? And the, the upshot of it is, is even my thoughtless words have consequences. Now, we live in a world that doesn't preach that message, does it? We live in a world that just sort of assumes that you can say whatever and it's somebody else's responsibility to deal with it. But that's foolish. According to Solomon, that's foolish. According to Jesus, that's foolish, isn't it? If my words, if my thoughtless words have consequences, what about when I intentionally use my words to stir up trouble and controversy. Yeah. Okay, let's see what else is in Proverbs about this. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk put far away from you. Crooked speech and devious talk. Does anybody here need me to explain what those two are? I think we sort of get the idea, right? What's the problem with crooked speech and devious talk? It is part of lying, isn't it? It's not just a part of lying, but here's what I found about it, is they are the tools of troublemakers. Troublemakers have an arsenal of crooked speech, things that aren't right, but they say them anyway, and devious talk. They have a hidden agenda. They want to persuade you to something that isn't true. They want to twist you off this way. There are people that are troublemakers. And troublemakers seldom understand the consequences of their words and the damage that they can do. You with me so far? Making sense? Kind of feels like the world you live in? Written a very long time ago and still just as true today. Solomon had this to say in Proverbs 6, verses 12 through 15. He said, Worthless people and guilty people go around with crooked talk. They wink their eyes, gesture with their feet, and point with their fingers. Their hearts are corrupt and determined to do evil. Catch this. They create controversies all the time. Is that our world? We're soaked in it, man. There are people intentionally trying to start controversies all the time. Unfortunately, sometimes we're part of that problem. Sometimes it's us that are making this mistake and being played for a fool, playing the fool, being foolish. He goes on, he says, Therefore sudden disaster will come upon them. They will be quickly broken beyond healing. This is true. We've seen it. 
This is what happens to troublemakers and people who misuse their words, that have crooked speech and devious talk, who like to stir the pot, who like to set people against each other. And we've seen it play out time and time again, haven't we? Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. It's not a leap to say that someone who has crooked and devious talk that loves to be a troublemaker is a fool. It's not a leap. It's there. It's not the wisdom of God. It is the wisdom of this age. It is the wisdom of this world. And it's the prevailing thing in almost every workplace. Jenny, you work in a hospital. I don't mean to pick on hospitals, but I've worked in hospitals before. This is the language that they use systemically in hospitals amongst the staff. Am I right? Yeah. Paul, you work in the school system. Any different there? Anybody a boilermaker? My dad was a boilermaker. Man, he would tell stories about it. This is normal, I think, in every workplace. But yet it's the pathway to being a fool. Let's look at Proverbs 19.9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. Anybody surprised by that one? We all sort of know as Christians that lying is on the no-go list, right? We know that there are consequences for lying and that we are not to be people who tell lies. In fact, we're commanded to be people that are known for our integrity, that are known for telling the truth. That's the standard that our king wants us to embrace. But what about a half-truth? What about just telling half the truth? It's still a lie. A half-truth is still a lie. Have you ever done it? I think that there are two ways that we, we fall into this trap. We either do it intentionally because we want to put our spin on something. We want to get people to agree with us. So we only leave, we leave out certain facts that we know about. It's still a lie. And then the other way that it happens is, I didn't investigate it. I don't know all the facts. And I'm repeating it like I do know all the facts and like this is the absolute truth. Yikes. Because it's still a half-truth. It's still a lie. And there are still contra consequences. See, I'm a fool if I tell half-truths and pretend that it's the whole truth. And I'll get played for a fool and become a troublemaker's errand boy if I repeat as though it's true things that I haven't fully investigated. We're, getting, we're gearing up for another political season, right? Please don't make the mistake of letting some cable news service think that you've gotten all the information about a topic from one source. I mean, I've got on, on YouTube TV right now, they've got this, uh, this one little gizmo where I can, I can bring up four different news sources at the same time in, in a split screen. And so it's Fox News, it's BBC, it's MSNBC, and it's CNN. Yeah. And Chris and I will, will, will pull that up and see who's covering what and what they're saying about it. 
And all of them leave out facts. All of them leave out facts. So I'm sitting here trying to think, okay, I'm, I'm a little timid now, especially after studying this, to repeat anything I'm hearing on cable news because I don't want to pretend that I know. And so my, what I do is if I say, oh, well, this is what this person said. I don't know if that's the whole truth. But this is what they're saying. I would encourage you to either do one of two things. Either investigate the matter fully or else put the disclaimer in that you don't know so that you don't become someone who helps pass on some spin from somebody who's got an agenda. We live in a world where people are constantly wanting to pick fights with one another and get you to take their side. And as Christians, we need to stay out of the fights that are unnecessary. Christianity is offensive. It's offensive to the world. It's not offensive to us. For us, it's our salvation. It's precious. One of the truths that we get taught over and over in the Bible is let's not be needlessly offensive. You know, I'm going to say to someone that Jesus is king. He's the rightful owner of heaven and earth. That's what lordship means. And that's going to really bother and offend some people. I cannot be true to my king and not say that. So why would I want to also throw more gas on that fire and alienate people further by being offensive whenever I don't need to be offensive? Yeah? You with me? Okay. Let's go on because there's some more stuff here. The next thing that Solomon affirms is my audience matters. Who I talk to matters. I shouldn't talk to every person the exact same way. How can, what do I mean by that? Well, let's let Solomon do the talking. He said in Proverbs 33, 9, he says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. Why? He will despise you for the good sense of your words. In Proverbs 9, 7, he says, Whoever corrects a mocker receives abuse. Whoever warns a wicked person gets hurt. Anybody else lived the truth of these verses? They're very true. Jesus came at the topic this way. In Matthew 7, verse 6, he says, Do not give holy things to dogs. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they might walk all over them. Then they might turn around and tear you to pieces. What should I take from those three verses? Here's what I get from it. Maybe you'll find some more truth in there that I didn't find, but here's at least this. There are some people I shouldn't try to talk sense to. Dogs and pigs won't value holy things and pearls of wisdom. Neither will fools. You ever had anybody that tried to help you with a problem you didn't think you had? Was that a welcome thing? I don't think I got a problem, but somebody else thinks they got a problem. They got all the answers for how to fix it. How do I receive that person, especially if they're forceful and trying to push it on me? If you've ever been in that situation, it's not fun. But have we found ourselves in the other shoes where we're the ones trying to get the pig to value your pearl? They're not able to right now. I am under no obligation as a servant of Jesus to get a pig to take my pearl. And I shouldn't act like it. 
it is not seen as a kindness whenever I try to shove my faith down someone else's throat who is not ready to hear it. My timing matters. The next thing that, that Solomon affirms in Proverbs is, my timing matters. Proverbs 25.11, Solomon said, the right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. In Proverbs 15.23, he says, to give an appropriate answer is a joy. How good is a word at the right time? I work with music a lot. Rhythm and pitch. That's what, we talk about this all the time in worship team practice, right? Confession, I'm the guy they really cringe to let me clap whenever I'm leading songs. My rhythm is that bad. <laughs> and you'll see me get off beat sometimes. And in worship team, now I'm usually fairly good on pitch, but whenever it comes to rhythm, I am rhythmatically challenged. <laughs> Timing is super important. If I don't learn to sing in time with the rest of the worship team, it doesn't sound like music. It just doesn't. It sounds like an argument. <laughs> I don't want music to sound like arguments. And at the same time, whenever I'm trying to help somebody or speak to somebody, if I don't pay attention to timing, it doesn't sound like I'm being a friend. It doesn't sound like I really even care about them. It might sound like I just have an agenda of my own. And I'm trying to do it to them. James 1.19, James said this. He said, Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. Now, if he's talking about being slow to speak, he's talking about timing, right? How many of us jump in too quick? How many of us are sitting in conversations and we're just waiting for the other person to shut up so we can say what we want to say rather than actually listening? If you've been in a conversation with somebody like that, it's not fun, is it? It's actually really draining and sometimes off-putting and offensive. There's a right time to speak, which means there's a wrong time to speak. How do I know which is which? Good question. I'm still working on it myself. But here's three questions that someone else told me I should ask and would help me improve my timing. And just like on the worship team, I still work on my timing. I'm still working on my timing when to speak up about things. And these questions actually help me with that timing. The first one is, does this person need to hear this? Does this person need to hear it? The second question is, do they need to hear it right now? The third question is, do they need to hear it from me? And what I'm finding is if I will just slow down, like James is talking about, and ask those questions before I put my mouth in gear, I'm getting better with my timing. It is a challenge. It's a challenge. Okay. So what kind of words should I speak? Well, I found three types. These are broad categories, but... Let's try and see if we, they don't help us a little here. The first kind of words that I should speak are true words. We just talked about lying. That's the negative. But now we're looking at the positive. I should speak true words. Proverbs 12:19 says, Truthful words will stand forever. Lying speech, but a moment. There is no expiration date or sell-by date on truth. 
You feel me on that? How many times have you had somebody tell you something that was the truth and you could not receive it, you couldn't hear it, you couldn't believe it, but later you have to admit they were telling me the truth. And it was just as true then as it is today. That's because the nature of truth. How can we learn how to live in today's modern world from a guy who lived 3,000 years ago? Because truth doesn't go out of style. Truth doesn't have an expiration date or a sell-by date. It's always good. Truth may not be popular or well-received in the moment, but it will stand the test of time. If we're going to be truth-tellers, you've got to realize, again, people don't always like it when you tell the truth. Yeah? Proverbs 27.6, Solomon said, Faithful are the wounds of a friend although the kisses of an enemy are profuse. What's he talking about there? If you're a real friend, you'll tell people the truth even if they don't like you for it. If you're an enemy, your main objective is to make sure they still like you. So you'll tell them what gets them to like you rather than telling you the truth. And here we come back to the whole half-truth thing where we don't tell the whole truth. But it's a friend who will hurt your feelings, not because they want to or feel like they're entitled to, but they'll tell you the truth, even if it makes you dislike them, because they're really trying to help you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 11.3 says, if you're good, you're guided by honesty. People who can't be trusted are destroyed by their own dishonesty. We've all had people who tried to play us. Isn't that so? And how do they do that? Through their words. Ever had anybody try to keep you in the dark? Darkness is a power. It keeps you from knowing the truth about things. And there are people who have a vested interest in making sure that you don't know the truth. Because they want to control things that they shouldn't try to control. That better not be us. We need to be the kind of people who tell the truth. Proverbs 16.13 says, Kings are pleased when you say what's honest. They value people who speak the truth. If you want to have influence, even influence with powerful people, be someone who will speak the truth. But do it with a certain kind of word. That's the next one. Kind words. See, telling the truth can never be an excuse for being unkind. I'm going to try to prove that point over the next few minutes by just looking at some verses about it. Proverbs 16.23 says, Intelligent people think before they speak. Wow, what a concept. Think before I speak. <clears throat> I need to work on that. Intelligent people think before they speak. What they say is even more persuasive. Kind words are like honey. Sweet to the taste and good for your health. Here's a truth. It is hard to be persuasive when you're abrasive. So now we're going to have to, at some point in this lesson, talk a little bit about purifying our motives. Because I can tell the truth in a very abrasive way. What is my motive for doing so? What's my motive? 
We are supposed to use kind answers. Here's another piece of advice I was given a long time ago that has stood the test of time. Didn't come out of the Bible, came from a guy that I knew, a preacher from a faraway land. He said this, he said, make your words soft and sweet. You never know when you'll have to eat them. I have found that to be very on the spot. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We can tell the truth in such a way as to provoke a fight. We can tell the truth in such a way as to calm one down so that there isn't a fight. As followers of the King of Peace... Which path are we supposed to be looking for and choosing? It makes sense, doesn't it? Colossians 4, 6 says, When you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant. Does anybody know an exception to always? Does that word mean literally every time and in every situation? Or is there a loophole? I don't see any loopholes. So when I talk... I should always be kind and pleasant so I'll be able to answer everyone in the way that I should. I made it personal by putting my, the I pronoun in there. But Paul uses you. So this isn't just to me. This is to all of us. We should always be kind and pleasant. Are we? What about with people who believe radically different things than we do? Are we kind to them? Are we pleasant to them? Or are we obnoxious and rude? Dismissive? He says something here that I'd like to, to, to pay a note to. It's that last part of the sentence. He says, always be kind and pleasant so that you'll be able to answer everyone in the way you should. He did not say that you will always know the answer to every critic, combatant, or how to, or what to say in every hard situation. That's not the promise here. But I can know how I should talk to people. If I don't have the right answer, if I don't know the whole truth about something, if I don't know how to convince you to believe what I believe, I can still be kind. Yeah? I can still be kind. If I'm in a hard situation I've never been in before, I, can, I may not know what to say to be helpful, but I can still be kind and pleasant. And that's what we are supposed to be as followers of the king. To do otherwise is to be very foolish. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let this one sink in for a second. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Everything I say be good and helpful so that my words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. After 30 years in pastoral work, one of the things that I found to be true is that people won't always remember what you say to them, but they will always remember how you talked to them. Verbally abusing someone in the name of helping them is unjustifiable. I've done that. 
I've done that. I didn't see it for what it was. I was trained here to be abusive, to talk tough, or to, quote, rip them a new one. I sat at leadership meetings where I was told, go get them. I also want you to know that I have tried very hard to repent of that. I see that as sinful and as wrong. And I don't believe anybody for several years now could point an accurate finger at me. I don't think I've fallen or stumbled in that. I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect. I, I have a temper too, and I can stumble, I can get irritable, I can get short. But the difference is, I don't excuse it whenever I mess up. If I talk in the wrong way, too aggressively to someone, I know it's wrong, and I don't excuse it and demand that I'm allowed to talk to people any way that I want. Some of you, like me, have had people tell you, listen, Paul, he wasn't always meek and mild. Jesus turned over tables in the temple. Or Paul says, I wish they'd emasculate themselves. That wasn't kind and pleasant. That was, that was tough. I have confronted the preachers that have made this claim and taught people to talk this way. I've confronted them publicly and privately. And they have no answer to these scriptures I'm showing you guys. I hope they've changed. They don't talk to me much anymore. It's a serious thing. The way we talk to people is super important. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Some people, especially religious people like us, just like to argue. Anybody here like to argue? Come on, is it just me? I became a Christian when I was 14. And Bob, you know where the Churches of Christ were all those years ago. We were schooled to be argumentative little brats. We had, uh, we had what, what they called a track rack. Anybody know what a track rack is? Okay, well, they used to make these little bullet point type tracks that were just, you know, little small things on, on different topics, and they'd have verses and arguments, verses and arguments. They were meant to be persuasive. <laughs> in my 14-year-old mind, I went back there in the back, and I grabbed one of each one, and in study hall at high school, I'd have my Bible out, not my English book, and I would be underlining and memorizing every argument and every verse, just itching for someone to argue with me about it. I had, the, the school secretary was big into premillennialism. I convinced that woman to hate me <laughs> because I was prepared to, and I would go in and I would stir her up. I was very immature, but I'd go in and I'd drop a verse and, and just make her so mad. She'd, her face would all light up and I'd just snicker. What an arrogant little fool I was. We can all be that way, though. See, some people just like to argue, and they look for an opportunity to squabble about something. And they are easily offended. Proverbs twelve sixteen says, When a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Smart people will ignore an insult. What are we talking about here? We're talking about kind words. If we're going to follow Jesus, 
our words got to be kind. And it means that we're going to have to refuse to be offended. This is a tall order, isn't it? This is tough stuff. James says the tongue is the most difficult thing to control. But that's what we're up against. And our world needs to see people who are serious about following Jesus enough to control their tongue and let the Lord shape the way we talk to people, to shape when we talk to people and the kind of words we talk to people because out there they don't think anybody does that. They don't think anybody can do that. And when they see it being done, it gives evidence that there's something going on there. Humility is not a prized possession in the world we live in, but it's a breath of fresh air even to the heaviest critic. Isn't it nice when you deal with somebody who's humble and you kind of want to be like them? That's what we're talking about here. The last section, the last uh, type of word that we should use are loving words. Loving words. Proverbs 3.3 3 says, Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Why do you think he commands this? Anybody else here struggle with loosening their grip on love? I struggle with it, against, especially whenever I'm being provoked or ignored. Which is worse, being provoked or ignored? I don't know which one's worse. But either one of them, I can lose my grip on love. Proverbs 22.11 says, Have a pure and loving heart and speak kindly. Then you'll be a friend of the king. Pure and loving heart. It's really important that we don't just act kind, that we don't just act loving. Maybe as you grow and as you try to tackle this, maybe that first foray is, well, what is the loving word to use here? here? But if you satisfy yourself with just trying to learn what the loving words are and to use those loving words, it won't be very long before you start running into serious problems. As Christians, we are not called to act. We are called to be. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, he said, what fills the heart comes out of the mouth. So if I'm going to fill my heart with all these arguments about how people have treated me wrong, injustices, this person is stupid, that person is mean. If I'm going to fill my heart with that, guess what's going to come out in my language? That. So if the command is for me to use loving words and kind words, what am I going to have to fill my heart with? Love and kindness. The idea of a pure heart is about not having mixed motives. Pure means it's the same through and through. We have to purify our hearts. It's a process. It's one that we have to engage in, though. If I'm going to speak loving words, I have to have a pure and loving heart. And that means I've got to address all of my mixed motives. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul said this. He says, Concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. In this church, we all have knowledge, don't we? We don't have equal amounts. But we know that we all have knowledge. We know some things. But he has this warning. He says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
How does that work? I know it's true. How does it work? How does knowledge puff up? Who does it puff up? It puffs me up. And the way he's saying this here, it's like a teeter-totter. I'm either going to choose in my conversations to puff myself up or to build you up. So I'm going to have to get into my motives, aren't I? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Is it so I can impress you that I know more than you? As religious people, we do that, right? Stinks when it happens, doesn't it? doesn't matter which one of us is doing it. When my motive is to convince you that I'm brilliant or that you're not, that's wrong. And that does nothing to help the person that I'm claiming that I'm trying to help. But whenever I love, I talk different. And I act different. And it helps other people. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Instead, as we lovingly speak the truth, we will grow up completely in our relationship to Christ, who is the head. There is no way for us as a group of believers to mature and to connect to the head, which is Jesus, if we don't learn to speak the truth in love. The, the, the metaphor that Paul's got here, it's almost like a Frankenstein type of thing. You've got a body, that's us. And you've got a head, that's Jesus. And he's envisioning this growing up, maturing to the point that there's a connection, a good connection between the head and the body. How well does a body work if it's not connected to the head? But if we're not going to be serious about this, learning to speak the truth and speak it in love, that connection is not going to be there and we're not going to mature. We're in a world that doesn't even know what the truth is anymore. It's a challenge for us to keep our eye on the ball and not lose the plot because we're assaulted with people who say that upside down is really right side up. That what's wrong is, is really what's right. How do you tell someone that's not the truth? See, I can be, again, unnecessarily offensive. I can puff myself up in a conversation and start quoting Scripture or any number of sources to try to prove that I'm the man with the information and I'm the guy that should be listened to. Does that really help anybody? We've just looked at verses that say, no, it doesn't. So how do I tell the truth but do it with love? That's what we're called to do as Christians. I need to be honest with myself about my motives when I'm wanting to speak the truth. Am I just wanting to build myself up? Draw attention to myself? Or am I trying to build the other person up? How can I be sure that my motives and my words are loving? I'm wrapping it up here, guys. I know I've, I've thrown like a thousand scriptures at you this morning. There's a bunch of them here. And, and maybe the best way to try to absorb this, this kind of a lesson, is maybe to talk through some of these things. Maybe something that we talked about this morning, you kind of go, oh, I don't know. Maybe he, he spun that a little different. Maybe I don't really... Or maybe there's a part of it you really struggle with. These are the kind of verses and the kind of lessons that you should talk about with somebody else. That you should pray about and work through. And look for the handles. Look for the how-tos. And think about how I can go about making the changes that I need to do. 
this thing about speaking the truth in love has always been a little elusive. Well, how do I know if what I'm saying is loving? And I'm going to leave you with this last verse, this last point that I think might help you. It's out of 1 Corinthians 4, 7. See, in this one, Paul describes what love really is. See, loving words aren't about warm and fuzzy feelings, aren't they? I mean, sometimes, but it's more than my feelings. It's about actions. And Paul describes it this way. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. How can I learn to make my words loving from that verse? There's a couple of ways. You can try it a couple of different ways. One is replace the pronouns and, 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 and nouns, love, with your name. Let's try it this way. Alan is patient. Well, I'm already done. I'm already struggling to meet up to this. Okay, so I know things i got to work on. Patience. <laughs> there we go. Alan is kind. Well, I'm getting better at that one. Alan does not envy. Okay. Uh, Alan does not boast. Well... Uh, Alan is not proud. Uh, Alan does not dishonor others. Okay, I could keep going on and picking on me, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, if you want to take serious, I'm serious about trying to be loving with my words and being kind. And I'm being honest with you about where I struggle and letting you know that this is still an ongoing effort. I'm still trying to be like Jesus. He's worth it. And those of you who knew me some years ago, often tell me, right, Kathy, that I have changed, that the Lord is changing me in so many ways. He does that. He does that to all of us. The question is, is do you want him to do that for you? And if you do, I would say, if you, especially on this last point about loving words, put your name in there. Sydney is patient. <laughs> on and on, everybody can put their names in here. Another way you can play with this is my words are patient. My words are kind. My words are not about envy. My words are not about me boasting. My words are not about me puffing myself up with pride. My words do not dishonor others. My, my words are not self-seeking. My words are not easily angered. My words aren't about keeping records of wrong, telling everybody about everything that everybody who has ever wronged me has ever done. My words do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. My words always protect. My words always trust. My words always hope. My words always persevere, which is about staying in the fight. Okay, is this a tall order? This is not the easiest lesson to teach, and it's not the easiest lesson to hear. But man, it's a critical lesson that we hear. It's a critical lesson because we live at a critical time. Christianity is shrinking in this country. It's growing by leaps and bounds in other places in the world. Interestingly enough, it's growing in places where it's harder to live. We live in an easy place to live. Maybe that's why as Christians we've gotten soft. Maybe that's why as Christians we've gotten selfish. 
Maybe that's why as Christians we've become really rude and unnecessarily offensive. And not just to the world around us, but within the church itself. If we are going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is our act of spiritual worship, that's Romans 12, we are going to have to deal with our words. And so I'm hoping that this lesson will help you to find the verses to put in your heart to draw on wherever you're in that moment where you've got to choose. In that moment whenever someone is, is provoking you. Or you want to help somebody by telling them off. There's a lot of ways that this lesson is going to be useful on a day-to-day basis. And I, I pray that it finds a home in your heart because our Lord needs us to stand up for Him and to be light in a dark world. That's all i got for you this morning. If you will, bow your heads and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, just want to approach you this morning and thank you for loving us and for, uh, for allowing us to carry your name, to wear your colors in this world. Father, you made our mouths. You created us to speak. Help us to learn how to use our tongues for good and not evil. Father, we need pure hearts. We don't need mixed hearts, mixed motives. We need to remember that it matters. Our words matter. Teach us to be kind, to tell the truth, but to do it with love, and to find the right timing, to never be people who try to shove something down somebody's throat who doesn't want to hear it, but always be willing to talk to people with kindness and gentleness and respect, even if they disagree with us radically. Father, while Christianity is still offensive, it is like a magnet. Your kingdom, Jesus the King, some people are so polarized and and repelled by Him, while others are drawn to Him. And as I find it to be the truth, most people don't have a problem with Jesus, they have a problem with Christians. They have a problem with Christians because we don't always look much like Jesus. But Father, Your Word says that You do transform us. A little at a time, it's a process. So Father, I pray that You'll help us to foolproof our mouths. Help us to learn how to talk to people in a way that represents you better. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, life, draw me closer.
Let it rain. 